0: To say you're tired is so pointless. It's, it's like saying, hey, I hurt to a doctor. Okay, where am I supposed to look? I mean, what test do I run on? I hurt. You have to be more specific. Once you identify the kind of tired you are, now you actually have the power to do something about it. Now you actually have a place to start looking for what needs to change. Now you can actually move towards an improved state. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent.
1: This is where high achievers and leaders come to work healthier, not harder. Where hustle culture zigs, we zag, so you can thrive in your career, health, and relationships. My name is Carly Fain. I'm a celebrity business and boundary coach, and whether I'm working with Grammy award-winning artists, professional athletes, Fortune 50 CEOs, or just folks that enjoy both progress and the present moment, My intention is to make sure that you have both a doable plan and the roots to rise. Well, welcome to Messy and Magnificent. It is your gal, Carly, over here. How you doing? What's shaking? Have you been in this conversation with me about rest for the entire season, or are you just dropping in today? No matter what it is, I am really glad that you're here as we pave this roadmap together from doing a little too much to real proper rest and regeneration for high achievers. And it's got me wondering, have you ever taken maybe a day, a weekend off or a full-on vacation only to return tired? I was talking to an acquaintance the other day, and she and her girlfriend had just returned from a two week vacation in Italy. And I asked, How was it? What was it like? Great, she said. We ate and drank our way through the entire country, but I'm exhausted. And acclimating to being back home is really rough. And it got me thinking while her intention was to relax and have fun and sightsee and be in a new environment. It turns out that wasn't actually restorative for her. And after all the effort it took to prep to have time off from work and everything waiting for her when she returned, coming back tired left her feeling even more behind than she did before she left. And I have similar conversations with a lot of my clients. They talk about the amount of effort it takes to get to the vacation or the day of rest or the afternoon off can be so much work that sometimes it's not even worth it. And well, if there's one researcher on proper rest whose research and candidness I found particularly helpful in solving this issue, it's Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. You may have seen Dr. Sandra's TED Talk. She's a board-certified internal medicine physician and a speaker, an award-winning author. She wrote the book Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. She's been on lots of talk shows you've heard of, lots of publications you read. Her research and the way she delivers it on the seven types of rest has really helped my clients and I understand our rest deficits much better. And to use this knowledge as a means to overcome burnout, to increase overall happiness and live and work in ways that feel simultaneously nourishing, purposeful and rewarding. And so when we knew the season was going to be about rest, you better believe that behind the scenes, we reached out to Dr. Sandra right away and absolute cheers were happening both out loud and via email and in our project management software when we heard that she would agree to join us. Not just for an interview this season, which you're about to hear, but for a live recording interview with members of our audience. So they got to ask her real questions. So in a moment, you're going to dive right into that recording of this live session with Dr. Sandra, and you're going to hear her kick it off by outlining the three medical criteria that define what burnout looks and feels like so that you can spot them if you wonder if you're nearing burnout. You're also going to recognize how living and growing up in a burnout culture has taught most of us to treat things like vacations or spa days or naps as cures and why those breaks never really relieve our emotional burdens or the other type of work we're doing. And of course, she's going to go over those seven types of specific rests that we all need so that you can know which one of them is particularly in alignment with what you need right now in a practical way to start to nourish your rest deficit. And perhaps my favorite part of this conversation was when she shared what to do when you know you need more rest, but carving out that time feels impossible. So as with any episode, just know that anything we mention here, any person or study or resource, it's linked right here in the show notes well, you can head on over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast, and I'll put links to it right there if you want to learn more. And if you haven't caught it already, I've created a roadmap for rest and regeneration for higher achievers, an actual free guidebook that accompanies this season. And it's going to take you through your own customized journey from busy to balance. Because talking about this stuff is great. Being able to apply it in our real days is what makes the difference. So give yourself the respect you deserve. Go over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast now. Get your own copy. I promise it will be a lamp and a ladder on your path to more rest. And it's going to take you even deeper into the conversation you're about to hear with Dr. Sandra right now.
0: I would say basically that we have permission to. I think that was my biggest battle with rest is that I felt like I had to Work enough to earn it, that I had to check enough things off the box. And I didn't really give rest the honor or the respect that it deserved. I respected work more than it. And it got me into a place of burnout. And so my hope is that anyone who's listening or anyone who runs into my work in any way, that they find the permission to honor rest as much as they honor work. Mm, I heard you say I was listening to
1: my work, right? I was respecting my need to work more than my, my need to rest. So why make that the focal point of your work? What is it about rest that called you to say, I want to create an entire body of research and collect data and really dedicate so many years of your life and your career to specifically this topic for women?
0: Well, not just for women, it's for people in general, but for myself personally, I burned out. So I was about seven years into my clinical practice at the time. I was an internal medicine, I am an internal medicine physician. So at the time I was working somewhere very close to 60, 70 hours a week and I just had children. So I had two kids under the age of two and a career that was extremely taxing as far as time commitment and got to a place where I just, I burned out. I did not have the energy for family or work. And you know it was one of those situations where I didn't want to quit my job. I loved what I did, and I loved my family, and I wanted to also show some love for myself in the process and that whole quandary of situation led me to trying to figure out how do I get to a place where I'm not exhausted all the time, where in the weekends, I'm not comatose and can't even play with my kids because I'm just so drained. so that was where the research came from. It was purely selfish. If I'm being honest, I wanted to figure out how do I recover my own life to be able to maintain and stay into a career that was very demanding and still have all the other things that I wanted in. Me. So that's where it originated from.
1: I love that something that begins with self can be have a ripple out effect that can impact and help so many other people and I hear you tell if I'm getting this right that one of your big tells that you'd already reached burnout was just exhaustion. And I'm curious for the other women in the room how do you know when you've done a little too much? What's your tell? What's the thing that crops up? Meg and I just made a silly social media video that we put out this week about, for me, I get cranky. Like that's my tell, you know, is when my, my fuse is a little shorter. That's one of the things I know that maybe I've done more than is really reasonable for me to do in the moment. And as you're typing those into the chat, I'm curious to hear from you, Dr. Sandra. what are the other tells you see? What are some of the common signs that people are ready to be in this conversation?
0: Well, if we're going to look at the research, so to speak, the World Health Organization defines burnout as you're fatigued all the time. There's three categories, so three areas. You're fatigued all the time. The second is that you no longer have passion for the work that you do. And then the third is that the work that you do is of lesser quality of what you're capable of. And so I think many of us are functional burnouts if we use the World Health Organization classification but for myself, one of the big tells is that I became very biting. My personality is the one that I tend to be an empath. I tend to be compassionate. I mean, that's kind of why you tend to go into medicine, specifically the field that I did, internal medicine. You're with the person in the ER. You're with them in the ICU. You know their kids. You know their family. You know the dog's name. You, you want to have relationship with your patient. When I'm biting the head off my nurse, when I'm saying snippy things to the patients, like just get over it, <laughs> kind of attitude you know, with their medical problems, I know that I'm not myself, that I am feeding off an energy that is not my normal energy. Those are some of the signs that I see in myself when I get really out of balance.
1: I'm feeding off my energy that is not my normal energy. That phrase really stands up to me. The idea that I'm not being who I know I really am, that's fascinating. And I'm seeing what other people are, are typing into the chat Amanda, I'm too tired to get anything hundred percent. Sue, fatigue, physical pains, lack of concentration. Susan, difficulty focusing, feeling overwhelmed, tolerance level gets low. That's a much nicer way of saying I get way cranky. (laughs) My tolerance level goes down. That's really sweet. Louise, exhaustion and ball dropping. I'd be curious for the women here. If you're like me, I have never heard the official definition of burnout until this very moment that it's actually a documented three symptom that we can look at. Is that new to anybody else too? Anitza, I'm curious for you because you raised your hand. What does it feel like to hear that definition?
2: I noticed that I've probably been experiencing burnout my entire life from sports as a child to college to working in corporate America now. And I've always found ways to cope. And I think what I'm realizing is that I don't have to continue those ways of coping, but like, how do I break those habits? They feel like they're second nature nowadays. So how do I learn new skills in order to lean into rest rather than into burnout?
1: Ooh, you get me thinking, Dr. Sandra, I'm curious what comes up for you as Anitza says that when you say cope, I think of a band-aid versus addressing the underlying issue. Like, this is how I can get through the day today, versus, okay, what's really causing this to be a chronic or recurring problem? As a doctor, does that, does that make sense? Dr. Sandra? what comes up for you when you
3: hear that?
0: It does. And I, I feel like that's what we've been doing with burnout. We have been throwing a Band-Aid at it or trying to find quick fixes for it. I believe that's why, you know, all of these PTO days and vacation days, and don't get me wrong, I think we need all of that. But that can't be your burnout prevention strategy. Burnout prevention cannot be blocked up into two-week segments when you choose to take a break over the Christmas holiday because everything's closed or you choose to have a week in Hawaii in the middle of July. That's great. Have fun during those times. But the reality is for most of us, vacations are not in any way restorative or relaxing. We're just doing different work away from our normal work and we're not restoring ourselves in ways that it improves the places we're depleted. So that's why oftentimes people come back from those breaks and they don't feel any more rested. It's the same reason why people over the weekend, you have the two days off, you do restful things or so you think, and then you're like, why don't I sell exhausted on Monday? We have to really get to the core of what is rest and how do we identify where our personal rest deficits are so we're not doing restful things that are actually not the rest that we need. Has anybody else
1: ever had that experience that Dr. Sandra was talking about? The idea of I went on vacation and I came home depleted. I had the weekend off for, for a lot of people. You know, this was MLK day yesterday, three-day weekend. And yet Tuesday, you might not feel restored. Anybody else have that experience? I took the break, but I don't feel rested. Louise, what do you think of when you think of that? What's an example of a time when, hey, I, I technically took a break, but I don't feel rested here.
2: Well, I mean, I guess this last weekend I needed some rest, but, you know, instead just kind of got pulled in a thousand different directions of things I needed to do around the house. And I think part of it for me is just an organization thing of, of really blocking out time to do something really restorative.
1: Thank you for that. Yeah. Sue, what's coming up for you over there?
4: It's like I said in the beginning, I take, make the time to rest, but do I really rest? What does rest constitute? If I'm going, you know, sightseeing or whatever, or doing something with family, although in my brain, I think, oh, that's resting. It's really just a different form of working, but it's a different thing I'm doing, but it's not really resting. It reminds me of the time when when I had a lot of exams to cram for when I was a kid and a teacher told me instead of taking breaks, just switch subjects. So keep going, but switch from math to English and from English to French. And then you don't have to take a break. You just you're giving a brain your break by doing something else. And that's kind of the way I approach resting is, okay, so I'm not doing my work, but I'm working at resting. I have to figure out what rest constitutes.
1: Okay, well, we have the perfect person in the room. Let's go right there, Dr. Sandra. What does rest constitute?
0: At the very core of it, rest are those restorative activities that replace and restore the energy that you've depleted. So the problem is oftentimes when we think about rest, we're only thinking about those cessation activities. We're thinking about sleeping, stopping. What can I take off my to-do list? Where can I take a big break from? And that's fine. That is a part of it. But we then have to, let me put it to you this way. As a physician, if someone comes into my emergency room and they've been bleeding, I can stop the bleeding. I can suture up the wound. The bleeding has stopped. But if that person was bleeding for five hours, they likely have a deficit. They're anemic now. They don't just need me to stop the bleeding. They need a restorative process to pour back in what has been depleted. And so it's very it's the same thing with the energy we use throughout our day. If you are a teacher and you know you're not using a lot of physical energy, but you're expending a lot of creative energy and that you're coming up with lesson plans for auditory and and visual learners, and you're dealing with parents. So you have that social energy you're using and dealing with students. If you then don't have a system in place to get creative and social rest, you can sleep all day. You can take as many vacations as you want. You're not going to experience a restorative process because you're not pouring back into the place where you're actually getting depleted.
1: When you said that, I heard you mention two of the seven types of rest that you have been researching, creative and social rest. Now might be a really good time if you're willing, Dr. Sonder, to take us through the seven specific types of rest. How does that sound?
0: Sure. So uh, just to name them so that they're all out there in case we don't get to them all, the seven include physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. With physical having two components, you have passive, which is sleeping and napping, and then you have the active components of physical rest as well, which include those things that improve your body circulation, lymphatics, drainage, flexibility, those types of things. So those are the full seven types.
1: And this is the part where if you've got a pen for somebody to jot down some notes, I highly recommend it because as we go through these, you might find that there's one that's particularly calling to you right now, right? One that piques your interest and stands out. And I'll be curious to hear what that is. Of the seven types of rest, as you describe the physical one, that one, it makes pretty clear sense to me. Okay, great. Physical rest, passive or active, I can understand that's pretty straightforward. But what about some of the other ones? For example, creative rest.
0: What does that mean? Yeah, so a lot of us use a lot of creative energy and we have never thought about how do we replace that? Or when we think about the things that are creative, restorative to us creatively, we don't see value in it because we never really evaluate how we use energy in that way. So at the very core of what creative rest is, is the rest experience when we allow ourselves to appreciate beauty in whatever form, whether that's the appreciation of man-made beauty like art, music, theater, and dance, or if it's creative beauty or or like natural beauty, so to speak, like the oceans, the mountains, the trees, the flowers, all of those things. And the interesting part of that is, is that most of us use a lot of creative energy, but we've never thought about what inspires us. What creates awe and wonder inside of us? We may have creative outlets that we do. Like sometimes someone will ask me, oh, I go and I do art classes with my friends. Is that creative rest? No, that's creative work because you've actually had to put a demand on your creativity to produce something. With rest, it's not about you producing. It's about you receiving and allowing what you've received to produce something inside of you. And so creative rest would be, I'm going to the beach and I'm not trying to figure out, you know, how many waves can I catch? I'm going there to allow myself to experience nature. So whatever that may look like, that might include walking along the beach. That might include collecting seashells. It might include just sitting still and listening to the waves. But in that process, I'm not trying to produce anything. I'm allowing myself the ability to be poured into from the experience I've placed myself in.
1: So let me see if I'm getting this right. For example, when I think of creative rest. So if you're somebody who needs to be creative on a regular basis, or you're working on a specific project, so a writer, a painter, a school teacher building curriculum, whatever it is where we're, we're cultivating mm-hmm. something new within the world, then what you're suggesting is the data points to that specifically creative rest, being in places of awe, wonder, beauty, what would be the specific type of rest that would help us in that circumstance.
0: is whatever inspires you. You know, one of the great things about creative rest, you know, the research showed that a large number of people, it was like over 60% experience that feeling of restoration and peace around bodies of water. Well, if you're like me and you don't live anywhere near a body of water, that feels like, oh, great, I'm not going to get creative rest, but a couple of times a year. Well, one of the research studies looked at this, those same people, they had them look at bodies of water, actual bodies of water, and they checked their MRIs. They looked at pictures of bodies of water, and they checked their MRIs for activity. And then they looked at colors that resemble the ocean, the aquamarines, the teal. And the beautiful thing was the activity in the brain, that restorative sense that we feel in those settings was the same, whether they were looking at the actual water or even just looking at colors that resembled the bodies of water. And the thing about that is it lets us know that if you need creative rest, you don't have to wait till you go to that location. You can bring elements of whatever is restorative to you creatively into your own environment. Change the theme into your room to a nautical theme. Put a picture on your lock screen on your phone or your computer that is inspirational, that makes you feel that sense of restoration. Bring in flowers, bring in plants, whatever it is that does that for you and is individualized, bring it into your space so that you're bringing in those creative rest elements and you don't have to think about it every time. You've kind of created a space that is restorative. So who here in the room
1: does something creative on a regular basis? And how does this concept land with you? Sue, you raised your hand too. What's coming up for you with this idea of creative rest?
4: creativity is my work as well so it's like in order to be creative I need to be rested to allow the muse to come out and yet she'll come at the oddest times and then I go no 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 go away because I'm doing such and so and then I have to stop what I'm doing because I'll lose that thought and I have like a million pieces of paper around the house with ideas and thoughts for writing and really for me creative in order to get creative rest i have to go away and be in a place where all these other distractions aren't there but then to get there it takes so much work just to, to get away and then when i come back there's so much that hits on my head it's almost like do i really want to go away <laughs> like or do i want to just find pockets of time like i just signed up to go to Italy this summer on a writing retreat and like that was a big leap for me and now I'm, I'm second guessing like ah, oh, all these things I should do, I should stop you know I'm British so I should stop in England and see family because I'm going that far and you know you don't go from California just to Italy for a week but really I'm doing it for the writing because I'm 20,000 words into the book so it's like it's work and it's rest to get the creative creativity. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I'm curious, Dr. Chandra, this has to be
1: something that a lot of folks brush up against in the beginning of leaning into the seven types of real restorative rest, this idea of Mm -hmm. I really want to, and I have all these obligations, or it feels really complicated to begin. Where do you begin when you've got so much on your plate? You want to try another way, and yet it feels too big to approach.
0: Yeah, I'd love to address what Sue just stated there, because I think what happens for many people is we feel like the work is on one side and the rest is on another side where they have to be like exclusive of each other. I'm working or resting. And so I either take a week and I just rest and I don't do any work or I'm working and I don't do any rest. What I believe is that they should actually be integrated with each other. The work and rest actually, they they go together. They actually feed on each other. I believe that most of us actually produce our greatest work when we produce it from a place of rest. So if you're going on, let's say, a week-long time in Italy, and a big part of that is you want to be able to come out of that maybe with another 20,000 words or whatever, (laughs) then allow room for both. Allow some time where you're, I'm not going to worry about the 20,000 worth. I'm going to go look at art. I'm going to go have a great meal and appreciate the artistry and the creativity and the beauty of the meal that some chef has put in front of me. I'm going to go to a vineyard and I'm going to look at some some vines and and appreciate the beauty of nature while I'm out there. And I'm not going to worry about capturing every thought that crosses my path as I'm out there enjoying this. I'm going to enjoy this simply because it helps pour back into me. It pours back into that creative well. It pours back into the the muse that I need to be able to maybe the following evening, maybe the next day. But that day, I'm going to sit down with what has been produced inside of me and see what pours out on the page. I believe that's when we get to deeper levels of work that comes from rest. Because we can't always be feeling as if we are obligated to capture every thought that hits our mind, as if that's the end of our creative ability, if we don't capture that one thought. Give space for both, space for rest, where we respect the rest that's needed, and space for work, where we allow ourselves to go deep into the work without the fear of, oh, I'm not resting now. We know that we've allowed room for both.
1: Allowing room for both, right? Not a zero sum game, not all or one. Like what is my unique flow? What were you gonna say there? I know we have another another writer in the house.
2: The thing I wish I did and I don't do is take two hours to go be in the woods or take those medium restorative things. When I do it, I'm so restored or to or, or go to a go to a play, or you know, I, I feel like that would be restorative. I am a writer and editor i am also been a psychology editor, though, and I learned years ago that something that I do kind of naturally, which is focus on an object of beauty. For example, one time my apartment was just trashed and I had these beautiful arched windows and I would like walk through just looking at the beautiful arched windows and not at like the disaster of mess I found that, that, that that's actually a thing that you can do on purpose and is really helpful. So some of the stuff like that, like this literally stopping and smelling the roses, having these little moments during the day of rest and also incorporating some mindfulness stuff like one mindfulness quick trick is like, take a minute, feel your feet. What do your feet feel like? So I do that kind of stuff. I do take the vacations. It's the mid-level stuff I'm not very good at. (laughs) So yeah, I don't think you have to take the vacations. And to me, I think it does make a big difference when I literally take 30 seconds to enjoy some bit of beauty, you know, instead of just blindly moving past it.
1: You know, I think there's something really interesting culturally. uh, You know, all those message of like work hard, play hard, like that kind of message that I think reinforces the like, exactly what Dr. Standra is talking about, you know, the notion that you're either doing all one or you're doing all the other versus, you know, bringing in this, how can I weave like rest as a regular practice? How can it not be all one or the other? And I think there's something far more approachable about that for most of us who aren't in a position of taking a vacation once a month, you know, to some grand place. This episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy. This is, of course, I've had the honor to found and lead for years with a diverse council of boundary makers. So if you're tired of being tired and you're ready for more time, clarity, and joy, I hope you'll check it out at carlyfane.com. For the first time ever, you don't have to wait for enrollment. You can begin in the Boundary Academy right now and go at your own pace starting today. I hope you don't wait another moment to join women around the world and reclaim your best work, living, health, and relationships too. I'm curious for those of you who are here and looking at the chat, as we look at, I've listed in there the seven types of rest that Dr. Saunders researched. Which other one are you curious about? And I'm going to lead just because I'm here and, and I'm really excited about this one. The concept of sensory rest has been a game changer for me and something that I've learned directly through Dr. Sandra's work. Could you explain a little bit about what
0: sensory rest is, Dr. Sandra? Yes, it's, it's giving your senses a break basically, but <laughs> it takes into account the amount of sensory input that we experience throughout our day. Most of us are not aware of the sensory inputs we are that we engage with. We you know, sometimes just because you have taught your brain to filter out certain inputs, you feel like oh, well it doesn't bother me that the kids are playing video games in the other room and I can hear a little bit of that sound or it doesn't bother me that the elevator or is or phones are going off in the office around me. Yes, your brain has the capabilities of filtering that information. But it is still working to do that. It's no different than when you're in a room full of people talking and you have two little people you know, that are in a circle around you. All of those other conversations, your brain is tuning all of that out so you can focus on the two people that are in front of you. It's still working. And so that's what sensory rest deficits do. They are kind of consistently draining our sensory energy and leading to sensory overload. An overload syndrome. And when we experience that, most of us, our side effect is irritation, agitation, rage, or anger. We're like, why am I so wound up? Why am I so agitated? And it's because we, our brain has been engaged in all of its sensory input, even if we're not consciously aware of it. So sensory rest is then looking at how do I downgrade some of my sensory inputs, whether that be time blocking, where Instead of you're gonna jump in and out of your inbox all day long, maybe you have a time block where you're going to engage with sensory rich experiences like emails or social media at certain times throughout the day so that you're able to isolate those a little bit better. That could be something as simple as looking at the notifications on your computer or your phone and making sure that, you know, they're not excessively high. Maybe the only notifications you need are your phone and the actual text messages and everything else you just click on it when you want to go into it rather than letting it push notify you stress whenever it feels like it or another sensory rest tactic might be you know you're sitting at home the kids are doing their thing you pop in your noise cancellation earbuds with no music just you just want to block out the noise of the people in your surroundings so you have a moment of sensory reprieve there's so many different ways of engaging with that from changes you can do and how you do virtual meetings with your teams, if you work remotely, to how to decrease sensory input amongst teams. But it's just a matter of downgrading some of that extra sensory input.
1: You know, it's interesting. I, I wear hearing aids. And when I take them out at the end of the day, it tells me how much has been used. And part of what my hearing aids do is they filter out noise that distracts me from being able to hear the sound of speech. And as I sit here right now, you know, I've got windows to to my right and cars go by. And at the end of the day, inevitably, my right hearing aid is always charged so much less than my left. And I know it's because it's filtering out those sounds that are there all day long. And I'm not consciously paying attention to. And I think, okay, if this little device needs more charging, because of just the amount of auditory sensation that's coming in all day long. Like how about the rest of me? Just that little thing is tracking the fact that it needs to work really hard just to focus on the correct sound. What about the rest of me? Where else am I working and not realizing that I'm working because it's sensory, sensory input. You know, another one that I think is really big and we talk about indirectly in the boundary Academy is the concept of social rest. Dr. Sandra, will you talk to us about social rest and how one goes about that one what that can look like
0: yeah so social rest looks at the people in your life and how they pull from your social energy many of the people that you probably spend most of your time and your day with are people who are negatively pulling from your social energy they need things from you they have demands upon your time these are your i mean it's your kids your spouse your parents your coworkers your clients, anybody who's needing something from you, but then you need to evaluate who are the people in your life who don't necessarily need anything from you. You just enjoy being around them. They're life-giving. They actually pour back in to you socially. And so yes, your family and your spouse can positively pour back into you, but you actually have to be aware of the dynamics of that relationship. It's very easy for some relationships to become one-sided regarding social energy where they are always in the taking and you're always in the giving. And then you don't have anyone who is life-giving, who's affirmative or positive and pouring back into you in that aspect. And so those are the things that you want us to be aware of with social rest. Evaluating who are those life-givers in your life and are you making space for them? Because the people who are negatively pulling from your social energy will always be more loud, more demanding, more insistent upon your time then those people who just want to enjoy your presence and just want to spend time with you—that's
1: a really interesting distinction. That the ones where it's more of a dynamic of taking from you might be the louder, more vocal, the more reaching out. Hey, can we get together? Hey, can you help me with this project? Oh my gosh, I need that talk to you on the phone. This dramatic thing just happened. Whereas those that might feel more life-giving may be the ones that are quieter in terms of the volume coming at us. And so this awareness of who pours back into me, to use your phrase, Dr. Sandra, who pours back into me? Have I scheduled time with them? What could that look like? Are they in my calendar at all? And maybe where not so much? Where am I noticing something is depleting? And then, of course, that's when we have conversations about, about boundaries. So I want to take a pause here and just see what's landing. What are we noticing from this conversation already? Amanda, I see you taking vigorous notes over there. You're writing things down. What's standing out to you?
3: There's quite a bit. It was interesting what we just said about who gives and who takes. That's something I've been dealing with a lot in my own life recently, like evaluating, like, all right, who comes to me? And is it reciprocity Are they giving back? Or are they just constantly taking? So I think that's huge. And learning to have better boundaries or to say, you know what, where's the value in this for me? But the rest part, Creative rest, when we started talking about it, I didn't think it really applied to me. I'm like, I don't do a lot of, you know, I do some photography, but I'm very analytical in my job. And I I don't think creative rest is my thing. But then my two favorite things are the local conservatory and the art museum. (laughs) And I'm not an artist, but those are the two places I go when I just really need to recharge. And I don't think I ever made those connections. So I thought that was pretty cool.
1: You know, I love that. I think of you as the parent of, you know, little ones. And I don't know any parent that doesn't have to do creative problem solving all day long. Right? Like all these different forms of creativity, um, you know, not just arts and crafts, but the kids just like who's going to pick them up, you know, and who's going to babysit and who's going to watch that. And just all that creative problem solving also being a form of of creative energy that we're having to put out there in the world. What else are we noticing? What else is coming up in this conversation that maybe you didn't see coming or you're seeing something differently?
3: I'll add one more if you don't mind. Anitza brought it up. She said that she felt the burnout from sports. And my kids are three and five. And it's something I haven't enrolled them in because every time I kind of put them in a situation where they have requirements, like scheduled requirements to be places, they give me a little pushback or they don't want to go or, but I realized it might be a cultural thing where we're just burning out at a very young age and thinking it's normal. So that's something I want to be cognitive of as my kids grow, knowing when to recognize it. So I'm definitely buying your books and going to read about this because I think it's really powerful. Dr. Sanja,
1: would you be willing to speak to that a little bit? Because I think that's a fascinating point. You know, where have we normalized burnout and both for ourselves, but for for younger generations, how do we, you know, embody or or practice these things in such a way that maybe burnout doesn't have to be the norm?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We've normalized burnout. I think most, uh, as some of you have even mentioned, you know, when you hear the World Health Organization, it's like, okay, I've been, I met that classification a long time ago. I think we have a lot of people who are functional burnouts and uh, starting as young as 10, because that's. Kind of the culture that we are bringing up this next generation in is that it's okay to be tired because everybody's tired. You know, you ask people, how are they doing? That's the comment. I'm so tired. I'm so busy. We make it sound like that's okay. Like that's the life any of us really want. And so I think a big part of it is parents kind of helping to model what does it look like to have some level of personal boundaries within your lifestyle, not just with people, but in how you live your life so that you have space for margin for fun for play for you know not just work that work can't be the end all be all that accomplishing isn't the foundation of a successful life it's a part of it but it's not the foundation of it and so i think we have to kind of reframe how we approach some of our work ethic with kids so that they understand if there's something and really teach them their own personal boundaries if there's something that they Start engaging with, and they find that it it doesn't align with kind of their priorities and their passions and where they want to go. That they have the freedom to say, you know what, I don't want to play basketball anymore. You know what, I don't want to do this. Yes, some kids require a little bit of pushing more than others, just like some of us do. But we have to also recognize when they are allowed uh, when they are being authentic about what's not no longer working for them. You know, one of the, the biggest conversations I've had in this past year that, that really impressed me was I, I had a series of these youth youth events I got invited to where everybody was like 16 to 25. So college kids, high school kids, I would be brought into this group of, you know, between 50 to a couple of hundred kids where it's, I'm the old person in the room and whoever the counselor is and all these young people around. And we're having this conversation, I'm asking them about things like social rest and and, and emotional rest. And one young woman was very transparent. And when I asked the question, she looked at me and she goes, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know, but it's specifically as it related to emotional rest, being authentic about who you are and what you're feeling. She's like, I don't even know how to do that. Nobody does that on social media. Nobody does that in my household. My parents aren't even authentic about who they are. How am I supposed to know how to do that? That conversation rocked me to my core, to be honest with you, because it wasn't just her. She was the brave one willing to say it. But then when I pulled the other 200 kids in that room, they were like, she's right. We're we're growing up to learn how to be inauthentic. And so there's no wonder suicide rates have gone through the roof. None of us feel like anybody even really knows who we are. They know our avatar, they know our, you know, they know our social media profile, but nobody really knows what my heart feels. That's a desperate world to live in. And I don't want to see anybody grow up in that. So I think it's important for parents to start changing that, start being real, raw and authentic with our kids, sharing hard truths with them, letting them know our own failures, our own need for boundaries so that we don't keep perpetuating this toxicity.
1: I would love to talk a little bit more about the concept of emotional rest specifically, because, you know, as I, as I went through all your work a few years ago, that to me was the one that felt like I had to summon the most courage because it required me to be first authentic with myself about my capability, about what I actually have capacity for. And I didn't like some of what I discovered, meaning when I say yes to picking a friend up from the airport or you know to help somebody move a sofa I genuinely mean it like I, I do really want to help and what I had to do with the with learning about emotional rest was re- be honest with myself about what I actually had the capacity for sure you want to pick them up from the airport but if you do that are you going to be tired all day long what's that going to look like and so would you explain the concept of emotional rest what that really looks like
0: yeah so it. Boils down to the ability to be authentic about what you're feeling and allowing yourself the ability to be transparent and vulnerable. Now, the reality is you're not going to do that with everybody. Everybody shouldn't have privilege to your emotional rest because some people are not safe to just be real raw and authentic with. But there are, there should be someone in your life, whether that's a therapist or a counselor, somebody you're paying for or a coach, or if that's a trusted friend or pastor or a family member, you really get to choose who your emotional rest people or person is, and if you don't have that person, it could even be a journal, but some place, some way that you have to release your feeling without having to curate them in a way that it's easier for others to digest. There has to be a moment when you can just be real. And the problem is many of us, we have a lot of emotional labor we carry whether that's professionally or it's because of of our own people-pleasing type tendencies. But sometimes just your profession may lend you towards emotional rest deficits. If you're a flight attendant and you're on flights day in and day out, dealing with people who are drunk jerks sometimes, and you have to keep a smile on your face and you have to stay happy and you have to deliver the drink and keep going, you're carrying emotional labor because really you want to tell that person where to, you don't throw them off the planes, what you want to do, <laughs> but you're keeping it all in check because that's being professional. And people do that on multiple levels, whether you're a, a someone who's a leader and you're having to fire people, but you know, that's going to affect their, their livelihood. But, you know, there's a lot of cuts happening in the company because we merged because of COVID and now you're holding the emotional labor of having to release someone who you know this is going to affect their family. There's so many ways that we hold on to emotional labor and if you never feel like you have permission to release that, it then becomes its own type of fatigue because you're carrying the burden of that and you don't feel like you have a place to to lay it down.
1: Whew, I have to take a deep breath and like and integrate that. I think there's something so important about the recognition of emotional labor, you know, and all the types of labor that any given human, you know, but certainly somebody who's, who's in a position of not being considered equal or worthy of doing well as much as somebody else might be, you know, I think there's so much extra labor, right? Expected, absolutely. You know, and emotional and, labor being a big one, right?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I speak to a lot of, um, employee resource groups and different, whether they're diversity groups in particular, where this topic tends to pop up as far as how do we restore when you're consistently under emotional stress? You know, whether you're a, a, your ethnicity or your sexual orientation or whatever it may be that puts you in a group where there's emotional stress because you almost have to defend who you are There's there's some there's a a divide there that we don't really take into account how that affects our energy level, and we think because it's it's not our physical body, it's not sleep, it's not what we're eating, it's not our exercise, we think that oh well that's not the same thing, but it is. It's making you tired, and and we have to understand that that's a type of fatigue as well, and it has to have a place of restoration. So, uh, thank you for giving voice to that. I think that is such
1: an essential conversation. And one other conversation that's come up in the Boundary Academy, and this was something where Anitza occasionally, I should say, I feel old in the presence of Anitza. She doesn't make me feel old. I feel old in the presence of Anitza because she has to teach me all these phrases that I've never heard before. But Anitza taught me the phrase church hurt, which was new to me, right? This idea that a lot of us, and this has come up in the Boundary Academy, have learned from a young age through our spiritual upbringing that to be selfless, maybe even to your own detriment is the way to go, right? That that's spiritual growth or that that's spiritual calling. And I know that you have a very strong faith and you mentioned that throughout your book. And and so I'm really curious from your perspective, how you have found through your faith, Dr. Sandra, a very different message around rest and boundaries.
0: Absolutely. You know, church hurts, definitely a thing. And I think a lot of people have suffered from it just in one way or another. You know, for myself, when I look at specifically as it relates to spiritual rest, I don't think of spiritual rest as it relates to a specific, let me follow these dogmatic type religious spiritual rules and regulations. I look at it more as how do I deeper, more deeply understand spirituality as a relationship? but something bigger than myself, which I consider God. So when I think about it that way, and we're looking at, you know, the rest process of that, you know, as you mentioned in my book, Sacred Rest, that's part of the reason why the title is what it is. I want people to not be deceived. I want them to understand that I'm coming from a place where there's a spiritual as well as a physical experience. There's the science and the spiritual that are coming together. And so when I look at rest from a spiritual standpoint, There is not a single religion out there that doesn't have restorative processes. Every single one of them, I don't care which one you choose to look at, has restorative processes as a part of the religious and the spiritual experience. Because we are not designed to be able to go, go, go. We're designed to be able to have these moments of rest and restoration in there as well. And so when someone tells me that they've experienced church hurt, and they get to the part of my book that talks about spiritual rest, sometimes we have the conversation, do I really need spiritual rest? Because I don't really believe in spirituality anymore. My question for them is always, do you believe that you are a part of something greater than yourself? Do you believe that you have your life has value and purpose? Do you have any desire to belong to the greater good, to belong to humanity, to feel accepted in some way? And so when we look at it that way, most of us have that desire, that desire for belonging, for acceptance, for love, to be part of something bigger than ourselves, for purpose. And so whether somebody gets that in a faith-based community, or they're getting that through causes and, and other communities where they are experiencing that belonging and acceptance, we all have that core desire. None of us can really flourish and fully get that level of fulfillment and satisfaction without feeling as if we are contributing in part of humanity.
1: Thank you for that beautiful description. And for anybody where this touches a nerve or gets you thinking about all sorts of things, know, I hope that we see this as the beginning of a big conversation, you know, the lifelong conversation for all of us. So one of the things we get to do on the Messy Magnificent podcast is we always ask our guests the same, we call it the two-way Q&A, these playful questions. And because we're live here as a group, I want to hear everyone's answers in the chat. As we ask Dr. Sandra these these kind of final wrap-up questions, she has not seen these questions in advance, so this is this is really fun. So, if you came with a warning label today, what would it say?
0: Oh, my husband would tell you: sharp attitude, soft inside. <laughs> mm, sharp attitude, soft, and soft. I have this tendency to have these really quick comebacks that can, like I said, can be biting. But my personality is one, I I tend to be a bit of a jokester. So I tend to, I like to have quick comebacks for people. And so my comebacks tend to be very sharp and pointed, but I'll laugh after that. It's like, I I really didn't mean it that way, but.
1: I love that. I had somebody once explain to me that some of us are more like coconuts and some of us are more like peaches, meaning coconuts have a harder shell, but they're soft, you know, and delicious inside. Mm -hmm. And peaches might be real nice on the surface, but watch out. They always told me, watch out for the peaches because they've got the hard center. The second question I have for you is, is for those listening, based on this conversation, what is the question you would want to ask someone tuning in?
0: It would be this, what kind of tired are you? I have so many people who I run into and I say, hey, how are you doing? And they'll say, oh, I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. And the very first thing I say is, so what kind of tired are you? Because to say you're tired is so pointless. It's, It's like saying hey, I hurt to a doctor. Okay, where am I supposed to look? I mean, what test do I run on? I hurt. You have to be more specific. And so I'm always challenging people, take back some of your own power. You're tired. Okay, I get it. What kind of tired? Because once you identify the kind of tired you are, now you actually have the power to do something about it. Now you actually have a place to start looking for what needs to change. Now you can actually move towards an improved state. So that would be my question.
1: I love that. Anitza just popped in the, the rest quiz too. So if you're drawn blank and you're not sure, go pop over there and take the quiz later. Well, here's my last question. Even if other people disagree, what is one thing you know to be true?
0: One thing I know to be true, God is love. That is the one thing I know to be true. Life is hard but I believe that God at the very core is a, is a entity of love.
1: I love the acknowledgement of both of those (laughs) life is hard and right. God is an entity of love. And so as we've got a couple minutes to to wrap up here, I'm really curious to hear what lands to take a moment to integrate in real time. I know a lot of us are going to hop off here in a few minutes and go on to the next thing. And so before we go, what word or phrase or concept is standing out to you from this conversation? Type that in the chat. What is one thing you might put on a post-it note or journal about later or talk to one of your girlfriends or any friend about from today's conversation? What are you noticing? Sue, so just noticing I'm tired. Yeah, that's a powerful sentence to be able to say. And then we might now say, what kind of tired are you? Right? That's the question to journal into. Meg. Full presence in spaces that inspire creativity equals creative rest. Mm. So getting to be present in a space that inspires creativity equals creative rest. I love that. I think there's something important about that discernment, Meg. It's not just being in front of the beautiful place. It's like not just physically being there, opening our eyes, mentally, physically, you know, spiritually being there. Yeah, Karen dittos that. Dr. Sandra. What do you want us to remember of all this? If there was one takeaway, one action step that you would recommend, what's important for you from a a research place?
0: I would probably say just the fact that rest is about restoration. I think that is the the key mindset shift that most people have to make. That it's not just about stopping or moving things off your to-do list, that it is about pouring back into the places you're depleting. Because it then requires you to evaluate, what am I depleting? And am I doing something to pour back into those places?
1: I think that's right on track with what Amanda, you just wrote in here and Louise, what you said, it's you're going through, you know, a significant ongoing crisis right now, really being thoughtful about, okay, so what does emotional rest in the face of this before me look like? And how might that help me navigate this moment to at least the next best moment, right? Or a slightly better next moment. Well, thank you everyone for being part of such a rich and important conversation. And I mean it when I say, let this be the beginning, you know, be in touch with Dr. Sandra's work through the links. Anita will put them back in the chat, but they're in there too. We'll post the recording so that everybody has access to it. If you think of anything else, let me know. Dr. Sandra, thank you so much for sharing your research and your time with us. I'm so glad you started with Rest For You and all the ways it's rippling out into the world for rest for the rest of us.
0: Yeah. Thank you. It was a pleasure to join you. All right. We'll see y'all later. Bye, everyone.
1: I can't even tell you how many times during this interview and candid conversation with our messy, magnificent community and Dr. Sandra, I kept peeking in the window of our recording software to make sure it was all being caught because it was so full of insights worth revisiting. And did you hear her question for you? What kind of tired are you? Oh, let us go there. Let us consider what is it really that's depleted so that we can address what needs tending to on the spot. And I want to know, tell me how this episode landed with you. Put it in a review on iTunes. That helps other women find our show. It helps me be in conversation with you too. And if you want to access the rest quiz that Dr. Sandra mentioned, I put a link to it in the show notes right here or visit restquiz.com. And oh my gosh, can we just pause for a moment and celebrate? We did it. An entire season dedicated to restorative rest with a cohort of brilliant women leaders sharing the insights and the expertise that's giving us the practical and tactical tools to reclaim our best work and best living. And if you were here for every episode or if you're just tuning in now, you are part of this conversation. And I see this as just the beginning of a rich exploration that's gonna leave us all more purposeful and fulfilled. And so as I sign off for this season, it's a little bittersweet, but I want you to remember this. You thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including the unique type of rest that actually restores you. And be in touch with me. I'm on LinkedIn or head on over to my website for ways we can continue this conversation. Because sure, we might be messy, you and I, but oh, I hope you are giving yourself permission to be magnificent too. I am so thankful that you are part of this messy and certainly magnificent community. Each episode here is only the beginning of our lifelong conversation together. Head on over to carlyfane.com for the full show notes from this episode and some extra special resources for high achievers that you won't find anywhere else.